Are you looking for ways to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Gretchen Rubin is the number one bestselling author of The Happiness Project, and every week she shares insights and practical solutions in the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. Gretchen's co-host and happiness guinea pig is her sister Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Join Gretchen and Elizabeth as they reveal fresh insights from cutting-edge science, ancient wisdom, pop culture, and their own experiences about cultivating happiness and good habits. Every week, they offer a manageable try-this-at-home tip you can use to boost your happiness without spending a lot of time, energy, or money. Suggestions such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for the year, or design your summer. They also feature segments like Know Yourself Better, where they discuss questions like Are you an overbuyer or underbuyer? A morning person or night person? Abundance lover or simplicity lover. And every episode includes a happiness hack, a quick, easy shortcut to more happiness. Listen and follow Happier with Gretchen Rubin, an Odyssey podcast. Available now, free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Icons, did you ever watch True Blood? I was obsessed. I thought the men on that show, Alexander Skarsgård, Ryan Quanton, I was in love with him when that show was airing. And I thought it was just so good. And so that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the new season of the Truest Blood podcast. The Truest Blood podcast is fantastic. If you haven't listened before, it's hosts Kristen Bauer and Deborah Ann Wall who rewatch and tell true stories from the set of HBO's iconic series, True Blood. They discuss the episodes, the blood, both fake and real, and all the sexy bites in between. And this season of the podcast, they cover seasons three and four of True Blood, uh, where there's more werewolves, witches, and vampire royalty on the show. Plus, I have really great people who worked behind the scenes of the show coming on and talking about the show. Lots of that to come. I think we're all pop culture junkies here. And one of the things that I love about pop culture is seeing how the sausage is made. And so I think that's why we're all going to be so excited to listen to the Truest Blood podcast. So check it out. uh, And also check out the show True Blood. Watch all episodes of True Blood on Max and listen to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino. We have Billy Eichner on the show today. Of course, he co-wrote and stars in the new movie, Bros, which I got to see. I loved it so much, Billy. Billy, how are you? you? Thank you so much. How are you doing now that we're sort of at the finish line? The movie's here. Yeah, I know. Uh, It's really wild. It's really surreal. It's a roller coaster. Honestly, it sounds like a cliche, but it's true. I mean, we started writing it five years ago shut down because of COVID when we were about to start shooting. Then it came back a year and a half later. We shot it last fall. (laughs) Then the editing, the testing, the marketing. I mean, it's I've never had this experience. And it's obviously, once you see it, you'll know a very personal movie in many ways. And I don't know, every hour I feel something different. And I'm just trying to, but I will say I I'm really proud of it. You know, I, I love the movie too. And I know that's weird to say about your own movie. And I don't, I wouldn't say it about everything I've ever done or said, but I really love this one. And I'm really excited for people to see it. I can't wait for people to see it. I got to see it early and I just, I, I'm a rom-com junkie anyway, but just seeing a gay rom-com like this one, it was so special. And, and I wondered if you're even able to take that good part in or take the success of it so far obviously it's getting great reviews and people are really excited and the people who have seen it 
seem to really love it. And I know you're doing so much press, but I hope you're able to just take in how special it is. Thank you. I am trying. I mean, I am a neurotic gay New York Jew. And so stopping to smell the roses is has not often been my specialty. But um, I will say it, it was very apparent, even when we were shooting the movie, that I literally forced myself at one point to stop and appreciate. Well, I mean, of course I appreciate it, you know, but to really take a moment and look around. I mean, Luke and I, you know, I know you had Luke on, um, you know, Luke who plays my boyfriend in the movie. We were shooting this scene, you know, near Central Park and we're walking and talking and doing the rom-com witty banter thing. And it's this beautiful shot with a crane and, and, you know, and I just, it hit me there that like, oh, this is like those rom-coms. I love rom-coms too. And I grew up loving them and have rewatched the ones I love, like so many of us over and over and over, over the years. And I just thought, oh, these are like the movies I grew up with, but it's about a gay couple and I get to be a part of it. And I know how rare that is. And the whole cast is LGBTQ. And um, there were so many things that are unique about it, especially for a movie produced and getting released with this level of support and distribution and in this many movie theaters. And I, I did force myself to stop and say, this is wild. Like this is really unique. And, and I really do appreciate it. Yeah. You know, you mentioned rom-coms and even having Mark Shaman do the score, which is for people who maybe don't know a lot behind the scenes of rom-coms, he's done so many iconic scores and for him to sort of come out and do this one, it's just, it adds so many of these extra special touches. And, and I'm of the belief that like the score is really important in a rom-com. If you, if you look at something like Sleepless in Seattle or Something's Gotta Give or some of those um, oh, yeah. movies, you've got Mail as my all-time favorite. And those are iconic scores. And, and to have him doing this one must have been so special. Oh, yeah. And you know what's amazing? Like you said, Mark did the scores for uh, When Harry Met Sally, Sleepless in Seattle, uh, Sister Act, Beaches, The American President, First Wives Club. Of course, he wrote all those songs and Hairspray, the musical, South Park, the South Park musical. I mean, I also remember him. I remember as a little gay boy obsessed with Bette Midler in the 80s, reading the liner notes of Bette Midler albums. And he was her musical director in the 80s at, at the peak of her, like the pop part of her career. And he's actually the one who encouraged Bette to sing Wind Beneath My Wings when she didn't want to. Uh, the one playing for her when when she sings One More For My Baby on the last episode of the Johnny Carson show, he's playing the piano for her. And I remember watching that with my parents, you know, in real time. And, and you know, so to have him involved is truly amazing. And we actually, without giving too much away, we collaborated on a song for the movie, which he came to play live on set. I mean, that part is really... Yeah, it's so special. I think he also was brought in for Hocus Pocus for that number that, of course, everyone remembers from the original Hocus Pocus. I oh, yeah. He, he did that. He does pretty much yeah. everything, Bette Midler. I mean, um, he's a big part of, you know, her world musically. You know, Billy, I was in a meeting the other day and there was an agent who asked sort of like, whose career would you, who's got your dream career? Who do you model yourself after? Who would you, who's sort of like the the North Star? And I mentioned... You, I mentioned Daniel Levy, and I, I thought about it as I was preparing for this interview and how lucky I am to have people like you guys. And I was thinking, I wonder who the people you had when you were in those meetings, when you were starting out, because I have a handful, still not enough people to, to tell an agent or 
you know, some production person, but who were the people that you said and, and how did you react to those kinds of questions early? I mean, there weren't many openly gay men, you know, there just weren't, there were, I remember when Nathan Lane came along um, and Nathan, I saw, I was really lucky because I grew up in New York city and my parents loved theater as do I, as, and I did from a young age. So I remember seeing Nathan Lane in this very famous Broadway revival of Guys and Dolls. I think I went for my 13th birthday. I don't know, it was like 1991 or something like that. I got two, when you turn 13 as a Jew, obviously it's a big deal. You're going to bar mitzvah. And I got two big gifts and one was tickets to see Guys and Dolls with Nathan Lane and the other was Madonna's sex book. So, um, so I had very supportive parents <laughs> from a young age. I'm very lucky. And I remember seeing Nathan in that he was playing a straight character, but he had this larger than life comedic energy on stage. I mean, you couldn't take your eyes off of him. Um, and then a couple of years later, the birdcage came out. Um, and I remember seeing that and thinking, well, I love this actor. He wasn't out yet. Interestingly enough, um, because even when you were playing flamboyant roles, People just didn't come out, you know, it's remarkable. Someone reminded me recently and I couldn't believe it that Sean Hayes only came out after that entire first run of Will and Grace, which, and I'm not judging it because we were at a very different time. And I think if you, especially if you were an actor playing a flamboyant gay role, then you were really scared, even Mm -hmm. though it was maybe obvious to the audience and you knew people knew, but to sort of cement that in the industry at the time, meant you weren't going to get opportunities. Um, and so there were people like Nathan who, even if they didn't explicitly say I'm gay in the media right away, I was certainly drawn to, but, but those were few and far between. I mean, then Rupert Everett came along at my best friend's wedding, but the truth is I was, how old was I when that came out? I was already 20 or something, you know? So to be a kid, there just wasn't much, um, so I tended, like many gay men of my generation and older, because um, I'm not a youngster, you know, I just turned 44. Um, I looked to women. Yeah, It was Madonna. You know, I was an obsessive Madonna fan and Bette Midler and Streisand. Like, and those, that might sound like a cliche to people, but, you know, I have no shame in that because to me, A, they were always surrounded by gay men. They had big gay male following. So even if you didn't see, you know, in the case of Madonna, you actually saw gay male dancers openly gay on stage. I think Truth or Dare, her documentary, Mm -hmm. which I went to see opening weekend, I like made my parents go take me. That was amazing to see two gay men in that. And and they were not even fiction. It was a documentary. They were real gay men making out, right? And at the Pride Parade in New York. And I remember there's a scene where they go and they... This was 1990. So there's a moment of silence for victims of, of AIDS at the New York Pride Parade that you watch in the movie. And that really impacted me, um, even though obviously AIDS was very scary and traumatic, especially as a child um, who didn't fully grasp it. Even, the, even then, I loved it was a relief to see gay men and comforting and inspiring. Um, those were some of the first gay men I saw. And then there were, like I said, the women who felt like outsiders who were not cookie cutter types, but who became superstars like Streisand Mm -hmm. or Madonna, who were really ambitious, who were very strong. Um, Bette Midler, you know, I loved how like she was such a great mix of 
sort of um, there was a the audience, the mainstream audience loved her, but she was also very downtown New York where she came from, you know, and, and bath houses. Um, yeah. And so there I, I was drawn to all of that. And I think in those women, I that was the close. Those were my inspirations mm-hmm. as a kid because there just weren't many gay men and there were straight actors I loved, too. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember thinking, oh, I loved Kevin Klein. Right. I loved William Hurt. Oh, I loved Tom Hanks as a kid. I mean, seeing Tom Hanks and big and all those Nora Ephron movies, you know, I love Steve Martin, Martin Short. You know, there were those guys, too. They weren't gay, but I loved them as comedic talents. You know, I was just talking to a friend about why so many gay men love Sex and the City and Golden Girls. And I think oftentimes it's because there aren't a whole lot of gay TV shows. So gay men find the closest thing to them. And usually they were gay writers writing those women. And so we attach ourselves to the Golden Girls or Sex and the City. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And oh my God, the Golden Girls. I mean, I lived for the Oscar. You know, I watched it when it first ran, which shows you how old I am. And I still watch it to this day. Um, I hadn't watched, you know, it's interesting. I hadn't, um, I have not watched Will and Grace in a long time. I I don't want to give it away. Deborah Messing has a truly hilarious cameo in in bros. I don't want to say anything more than that. Um, But she's amazing. And she's been on Billy on the street and she's always wonderful um but i watched will and grace last night it i was just sort of channels and i hadn't seen it in a long time and i think it was maybe from the first season it was early will and grace and um yeah i i mean in some ways it was very of its time of course but it is i don't think people appreciate how radical that was and that was really a lesson in funny is funny Mm-hmm. Because if you can make people laugh, even if they don't know gay people or are uncomfortable with gay people or whatever it might be, you will get them on your side. And the show was just undeniably laugh out loud, consistently clever and funny. Yeah, uh, I, I remember when I was coming out watching the DVDs, I hadn't watched it right when it was on. I think it was towards the end of its run, but a friend was like, you have to watch it. And she got me the DVDs right when I came out and it was just so, it was so important to me just because it I got to see gay people on screen. And you mentioned Nathan Lane. I was listening to this interview. I think it was maybe Rob Lowe's podcast or some interview he did. I love Nathan Lane too. And he was saying after Birdcage, which was this huge hit. And I think around that time, there were these like sort of gay comedies like in and out Birdcage, uh, my best friend's wedding with, um, Rupert Everett, but he was saying right after Birdcage, he sort of expected these doors to be open and for these movie roles to come. And I think he said he got offered Mouse Hunt, which was Gore Verbinski's like first big movie, but it was a family role where he was acting opposite a mouse. And he got offered Mr. Magoo, which was this terrible movie. Leslie Nielsen ended up doing a reboot of the cartoon. But uh, it was so fascinating to me because there was this weird sort of moment in the late 90s where it seemed like there were big budget comedies about gay characters, maybe not openly gay actors. And then it's sort of passed. And, and I've read in interviews with Rupert Everett that he, people were talking, I don't know. I don't think he was nominated for an Academy Award, but I remember it was like, he got so much wonderful press and it seemed like he was on track to be this huge star. And then unfortunately there just weren't roles. And I'm so grateful now that there are more LGBTQ roles, but it's still not great. And so having a movie like yours is really amazing and important. And 
I know you've been on this press tour and it's been, you've been everywhere. And I know it must be exhausting to try to explain how important it is mm-hmm. uh, and why it's important for people to see this movie so that more gay creators can have their movies made. And uh, so I, I hope people realize that. And not only that, but it's also just a fucking great movie, but I just hope people go see it and realize that it is important for us to support these. Even more recently there, like the queerest folk reboot was canceled on Peacock and, we get these things, but unfortunately they're not always given the kind of support and marketing and everything that we need them to. And so, yeah, I hope people support, I don't know. Was there a question in there? Did I, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure, but I, you know, I I hear what you're saying. And, um, um, and I, I, again, I, I am really proud of the movie and that's not to say we haven't had decades of great indie movies about gay couples. And I was always, again, I was really lucky. I was almost always in New York. Um, and I ran to see the Broken Hearts Club, mm-hmm. Greg Berlanti's first movie, the night it opened at the Quad Cinema uh, in New York, which is always where these these uh, gay indie movies played usually. And I saw all over the guy, Dan Bukatinsky's movie. And I saw Edge of Seventeen. And oh, my God, I saw another. What was it? Another gay teen movie. I mean, you know, yeah. I saw all of those it was like movies. ten eating out movies. Remember that? Yeah, and I would run yeah. to see them on opening weekend because I wanted to support, but also because I wanted to see our lives reflected, even if it wasn't a perfect movie. Um, it was, it was something, and you know, they. It's true; those movies they just did not get the financial support from the straight powers that be in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why bros is a little different when it comes to movies, getting a major studio release, you know, it's, it's bros is opening in over 3000 movie theaters across North America for an R rated Judd Apatow produced gay rom-com. That is unusual. You know, the, the, the gay movies, quote unquote, that usually get that type of support have often been tragedies about our lives where our stories are being told by straight movie stars. And, some of those movies are great. Of course, I, I love Brokeback Mountain. It's a masterpiece and, and, and Milk. And these are very important movies. But Philadelphia going way back, you know, they're great movies. But our stories were being told for us. And they were always cloaked in tragedy and suffering and the challenges of our existence. And those, those challenges are part of our lives and certainly part of our history. But can't we just go to the movie theater and see a great comedy about our lives, you know, and, and what's fun and funny and sexy and, and, you know, the characters and bros are flawed. They're complicated, but it's not tragic. It's a very feel good uplifting movie. And my goal was to present an authentic version of, or the one I've experienced of, of gay modern dating as I know it, at least I can't speak for everyone, but you know, with the sex and, you know, the certain, the, the, the rules or lack thereof that we've created around monogamy and the apps and all the ways that we, you know, drive each other crazy now and sex and dating and, and relationships, but to, but to give it, to give things that might be shocking or subversive to a straight audience, I don't think it's shocking to a gay audience, but it's, it's surprising to a straight audience, but to give it that same warm, delightful, uplifting, glossy, Nora Ephron, Nancy Myers glow. Like that's what I wanted to do. Um, and you did it, Billy. You did it. Thank you. I, you I, did it. I think I, it's really going to be one of those rom-coms that people like myself, we go back to and rewatch because the best rom-coms and there haven't been many as of recent, but they're the ones that we can watch over and over again. And I, I mean, I know that I'll be 
I immediately, after I saw it, I was like, oh, I want to watch it again. But there's so much has been made about how all of the actors, and there's so much LGBTQ talent in this movie who get those little moments to shine in, like they do in all the Judd Apatow movies, like uh, Bridesmaids. Or I remember Kristen Wiig showing up in Knocked Up, and she had like one little scene, but it was like, oh my God, who's that? And it's so nice to see LGBTQ people who don't normally get those opportunities in this. But I also, I what I want to talk to you about is there's also these brilliant actors from people might know projects from the nineties, people like Harvey Firestein and Amanda Bierce, who played Marcy on married with children. I remember watching that show with my family and they get these moments too. And I'm curious to, talking to them and getting them on board this project. Did they tell you any stories about what it was like? Cause they were some of the few and only openly LGBTQ people back in the nineties who were working and sometimes at the expense of people making fun of them on screen. Harvey Firestein goes back to the 80s. You know, mm-hmm. he made tor- he made his hit Broadway play Torch Song Trilogy into a film in the early 80s um, and was out, was an out gay man. Um, and Amanda, who I knew from Marcy being Marcy Darcy on Married with Children, she was also in Fright Night. I don't think she's been in a movie in 30 years. She mainly directs and teaches. But I remember her being on the cover of The Advocate in 1992. She came out. She was the first woman to ever come out who had a major role on primetime TV before Ellen DeGeneres, before Rosie O'Donnell. And it's so important that as much as we celebrate the current wave of queer content creators and all the queer stuff we're getting now, which which we're getting a lot, and that's amazing, but those people really were brave and bold and bros would not exist without the decades of work and the bold choices that that artists like Harvey and Amanda and many others made. Um, And I wanted to take a moment in bros to make sure we were being inclusive of them as well. I think there's a real generation gap in the gay community, in the LGBTQ community. I'm very lucky for all the challenges that I had. I'm kind of, I'm in an interesting position where I'm perched between two generations who had very different experiences um, in terms of the world that they walked into when they were coming of age as a gay person and how welcoming it was for LGBTQ people, both in the entertainment industry and the world at large, you know, because the, the generation right above mine really had to, you know, deal with the trauma of those peak years of the AIDS epidemic. And before that, a world where, you know, outside of maybe, the West Village in LA and San Francisco was not very welcoming, you know, and then you have the generation 10 years ish younger than mine and younger than that, who I'm not saying there aren't challenges. Of course there are. And especially for trans people and gender fluid people, they're facing a whole new slew of challenges, but generally speaking, they, the LGBTQ folks who are 10 years younger than me uh, walked into a, again, generally speaking, a more welcoming, inclusive world and definitely an entertainment industry that sort of felt this cultural mandate to be more inclusive, even when maybe they were scared or, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's an interesting place to be. And I wanted to make sure that bros give opportunities to everyone, both the, you know, the younger actors and the actors who really paved the way for us. Yeah. Harvey Firestein's book, if anyone hasn't read it, it's so, so good. And it's so good. Yeah. It talks about his career. And I always remember growing up just when he would pop up in something, even before I knew that I was gay as a young child, like seeing him in Mrs. Doubtfire Independence Day, when he would show up at these big blockbusters, like, oh, I like that character. I'm interested in that. 
what yeah. the other person's doing. Totally. When, when Harvey shows up in bros, I've been to a million advanced screenings that we've had every time the audience bursts into applause, whether it's an audience with more straight people or more LGBTQ folks, everyone loves Harvey, you know? And I think part of the, I mean, he's just a very talented, unique person in the culture um, beyond just being gay. But I think we feel so much for him, you know, mm-hmm. because he was one of the few and, 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 and came out so early and has been with us for decades, you know, and we forget sometimes and we can't forget that. Was there anyone you tried to get, for bros that couldn't do it for scheduling or something like that for, for cameos or anything like that. Oh boy. I don't want to spoil all the, yeah, I don't want to really spoil great. it. There's a bunch yeah. of cameos in the movie. So if, I think there were probably some people that we reached out to who couldn't do it, but also it's kind of, I don't want to spoil it, but it's shocking who, who does show up. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I was very, very grateful. It's amazing when, when it happens in the movie, the audience again, like applause. It's so good. <laughs> you know? it's so good. We have to take our break here. We'll be back with so much more from Billy Eichner. I want to remind you to get your tickets to Bros. See it in a theater. And if you want to listen to my interview with Billy's co-star, Luke McFarlane, of course, who was also in the show Brothers and Sisters, I interviewed him last week. You can listen to that interview on the podcast feed or go to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Danny Pellegrino and the number one, and watch our chat and talk about chemistry. I felt like him and I had chemistry. My boyfriend was a little jealous because I got off that Zoom and I was like, hey, I guess Luke and I are in love. So it's what happens. It's what happens. It's a tough job, but someone's got to do it. Anyway, I want to remind you to also to find me on social media at Danny Pellegrino on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You get my book. It's called How Do I Unremember This? Unfortunately, True Stories. Wherever books are sold or you can get the audiobook. I just found out Spotify is doing audiobooks now. So you can buy the book over on Spotify as an audiobook or Audible or get the hardcover. The season finale of The Real Houses of Beverly Hills airs this week. We will be recapping it here on Everything Iconic. So stay tuned for that. All of that said, we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Los Angeles Tourism. Now, y'all know I'm from the Midwest, but I've lived in California for so long, and I truly do love it here in LA. There's so much to do. My parents were just in town and said the same thing because we always have something to do when they visit. There's so much good food and drink here. There's lots of pop-ups, rooftop bars, year-round alfresco dining. I love being able to eat outside here all the time, but they really have so many different food options uh, that you can get all the time. Tons of great shopping and fashion. Uh, They just opened up a new shopping center right across the street from where we live. And it's just fantastic to be able to walk there. I love that. I love having the sun. I love the attractions, the studios, the lifestyle. You get all the Hollywood pop culture stuff that I certainly love so much. Uh, And also, you just get the wonderful weather. It's really a fantastic place. So I want to encourage you all to head to discoverla.com. Again, need more ideas for your next visit? Just head to discoverla.com. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new 
filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, my listeners can use code EVERYTHINGICONIC, all together one word, at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Ever since I saw Clueless, I wanted to have the most amazing wardrobe, and that includes all of the clothes inside the wardrobe closet, and that's why I'm excited to talk to you about Quince. Now, Quince has you covered with truly timeless pieces that never go out of style. You'll have them in your closet forever. Quince has all sorts of must-haves. I'm talking uh, Mongolian cashmere crewneck sweaters from $50. I have a blue cashmere crewneck sweater I got from them that I get so many compliments on all the time. I love it. Plus, iconic 100% leather jackets and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes us savings all over to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. Love that. Makes you feel good about shopping with Quince. Uh, again, I've gotten a lot of stuff there. Just uh, good quality pieces and a lot of different options if you're looking to upgrade your wardrobe. So indulge in the affordable luxury. Go to Quince.com slash iconic for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Quince, Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash iconic to get free shipping and 365-day returns, quince.com slash iconic. I know you're a, I'm a huge Mariah Carey fan. I'm a lamb. Yeah. And I know you are too. I asked Luke too, his favorite Mariah song. He didn't know a Mariah song and it was, it was that's tough, very, Billy. That's Luke McFarland, but I'm sure he knew <laughs> a lot of Garth Brooks songs and country right. songs. We talked about Shania Twain and Garth, but yes, he, he's a, yeah, he can talk about Shania. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a Mariah song in the movie and I know you're close with her. And I always ask all my guests, but I wanted to do it sort of now instead of at the tail end of the interview, because I know you are friends with her. And I wonder what's your favorite Mariah Carey song? Oh boy. I truly do love there's a remix of Heartbreaker, a very specific, obscure remix that only um, diehard Mariah fans, a.k.a. Lambs. But if you don't know, that's a diehard Mariah fan Um, from I think it was the late 90s or early 2000s when Heartbreaker came out. There's a remix called Heartbreaker slash If You Could Ever Be Lonely, where she covers an old song called if you could ever be lonely and inserts it into heartbreaker and junior Vasquez, who's like a legendary gay DJ from the New York club scene of the eighties, nineties, early two thousands. I mean, he's still around, but you know, those were like the peak years of it. And I remember going to hear him spin and, you know, going to Twilo and all these clubs back in the day. Um, and I, he did the remix and she went back into the studio to, to re-record it, which is rare, you know, um, and so she does I love for a lot of her remixes. People she does, yeah. She, and she yeah, anytime you need a friend, um, the Honey remix that she just put on the re-release of Butterfly. You know, there's there's there are vocals in there that 
she had to go back in the studio to record. It was not part of the original recording session. Um, I love that remix. And, you know, I'm a sucker for a great power ballad. You know, I love the ballads. And with Mariah, I really love some of the ballads that maybe weren't singles or weren't as ubiquitous. Like there's a song called All I Ever Wanted. Um, Whenever You Call, which was on Butterfly, I believe. Um, Miss number on her, on her Christmas album, Miss You Most at Christmas Time. Is this which you did a cover of that was so stunning. It was on one of the, the late shows. I loved yeah, on, that on, because on, that's, to me, that's such an underrated Mariah ballad from the so Christmas good. album. So good, yeah. She told and me her melancholy. mom... It, her mom used to say it was too depressing to put on a Christmas album. I love that song and yeah mariah let me sing it on james corden um for christmas it was like we were in the middle of covid and you know i don't know um so i i went on and did that and uh but that's a really beautiful song i mean there are so many yeah my favorite ballad of hers is forever from the daydream album i think loves forever and when i was whenever that came out when i was a teenager i literally I think there was a video for forever, but I think it was a concert video. Like it, it wasn't like a fully produced video, if I remember correctly. But in my head, I planned out a whole like narrative video for forever. I've actually never told her that because it's like one step too far. It's like embarrassing. Um, I had my first kiss with a with a girl um, uh, in junior high school listening to Mariah's second album. There's a song called And You Don't Remember. Um, which wasn't a single, but is a great song. And I told Mariah that, and of course you gave me the whole history of that song. Oh, I love um, it. I was just going to ask, cause you've worked with her a couple of times. You were on her Apple Christmas special. And then she's also done a Billy on the street thing for the holidays. And uh, so I was just going to ask a, a favorite memory or something, a story from working with her one of those times or talking to she's her. She's so great. And she's so down to earth for all of the Mariah-ness of it and the larger than life quality she brings to things for fun she's really down to earth and very funny you know and and very self-aware and makes a lot of jokes you know my when we were making that christmas special which was obviously very much for families and very wholesome the fun thing i like to do is you know i'm like dressed as an elf and it's this whole wholesome family christmas thing i would whisper something like edgy in her ear, you know, to make her laugh or I'd make a joke about a celebrity, which of course, you know, couldn't end up in the special, but I just, you know, she loves all that stuff. She's a person, you know, like, um, so that's really fun. I love making Mariah laugh. Uh, I don't think people realize how funny she is and sort of in on the joke. She is about the whole diva persona. A hundred percent in on the joke and, you know, leans into it for fun and glamor. And, uh, but she's she's really great like i can't believe how down to earth she is it was really fun when we shot billy on the street with her you know mariah's lived in manhattan for 20 years i think she's lived in like the same penthouse somewhere i mean she has other houses of course but she's a new yorker and i think one of the things that bonds us is that she grew up on long island and i grew up in queens which if you don't know those are attached basically so you know, we're both native New Yorkers. And when we were shooting Billy on the street in Chelsea, which is where we shoot a lot of Billy on the street, um, she pointed out the little studio apartment she lived in, I think on 19th street when she was 18 or 19, where she wrote vision of love. Um, And I think she just has a a crazy work ethic. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't stay Mariah Carey this long at this level and still be this relevant unless you are dedicated 
to doing that. And, you know, she's a songwriter just as much as she is a singer. Um, But it was very cute because she doesn't, I don't think she walks around Manhattan very much. You know what I mean? She's a little too famous for that. And so, you know, she spends her life probably in, an Escalade going from one underground garage to another one. But with Billy on the street, we're walking around Chelsea and there's a restaurant in Chelsea. There's also, you know, it's, there's one in LA it's called Italy. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's been around a long time now and it's popular, you know, you can go sit and eat at Italy and there's big glass windows. And <laughs> we were shooting, we walked by and Mariah Carey, first of all, a packed restaurant. Imagine looking at the window and seeing Mariah Carey in full Mariah glam, like <laughs> leaning into the window. And she literally said, she said, oh, that's Italy. And I would, I just thought like, of course, Mariah, she doesn't walk around. You know well, what I mean? She's never been like, to an Italy. She's never been to an Italy. Um, and I just thought that <laughs> was really, that. really funny. Yeah. I love that. Uh, Billy on the street. Was there ever anyone that you weren't able to get? I know you sort of re-erect, resurrected it this past week with uh, Paul Rudd and Jack Black, and it's been so yeah. exciting to see. And and obviously you're doing so much, but has there been someone on that list that you haven't been able to get? Probably a few, yeah. Although it's we've gotten a lot of people. Um, Meryl Streep, yeah, be number one. We've tried. We've we got close. Um, and I don't know. There's still time, I guess. Um, but Meryl's always been up there. I also just think like everything else she does, she would be so good at it. And she's a New Yorker, you know, she's like a, you know, she went to Yale, but you know, she was a Broadway actress. You know, she's a real New Yorker. Um, and I think I, I miss it. Would Billy. be really fun. Was that? I, I miss it. I miss it. It was so nice to see it. Billy on the street. It was so nice to see it back this past week. Thank you. Yeah. I was touched by when we put out that Paul Rudd video, we didn't do a press release or anything. We just put it out and people really were excited about it. I was very touched by that. I mean, you know, it's, I'm only, I only get bros because of Billy on the street. You know, I'm very grateful for it. It's, it requires so much of my, my everything, my energy, my physically, vocally, mentally, you know, and um, I've done it for a really long time on and off since I was 25 years old and I'm now 44. So that's a really long time to do that particular thing. Yeah. yeah. And it, I could only imagine the amount of energy. I get tired after my podcast because I feel like it's an hour of high energy and like being and you have to be so on, yeah, you, right? And, and I can't. Billy on the street's not one of those things you can just phone in one day, you mm-hmm. know, like, oh, I'm going to sleepwalk through it today. Well, I can't do that, you know. So um, it takes a lot out of me, but I obviously, you know, it still makes me laugh when it's, when it's good, it's good. Well, you know? and I was just going to ask you, cause I often think my favorite thing you ever did was the Thanksgiving day parade where you had a Rooney Mara float with Katie Kirk. Cause I love the Thanksgiving day parade. And yeah. I always say to my friend, Katie Kirk said, um, there was a line she said like god bless the united states and god bless the united states of Terra." and it always like yeah. i think of that line and it's so funny oh then yeah then we should be friends i mean because that you're a real fan if you know that one and it's oh, also it's my so favorite um and it's not like a typical billy on the street because it's like a comedy sketch basically but we literally recreated the macy's thanksgiving day parade which i always loved as a kid but instead of balloons of you know, cartoon characters and Snoopy. We have like a huge balloon of Rooney Mara and a huge <laughs> balloon of Mila Kunis and a whole float dedicated to Mark Ruffalo and all these actors I'm obsessed with. And Ruffalo. Katie Frick did it. 
and she co-hosts it with me and she gives like the perfect dry delivery as if she was doing the real parade. And we just had a blast. If you haven't seen it, I'm you have to go watch you, it. Even if you don't like me, you will like this segment. Go look it up on YouTube. It's, well, it's, a, it's a different temper than the rest of the show too. Cause you, you're is. both delivering exactly like those Macy's Thanksgiving day parade, which that's the, that's my like dream goal is to be able to host the Thanksgiving day parade one day, because it's so absurd. I love it. Um, but yeah. even more so than like a traditional episode of Billy on the street, my sort of fantasy is that you'll resurrect that for a Thanksgiving and like, just do you know, versions it of was that so one. expensive. I think, I think I almost bankrupted true TV, the <laughs> network we were on. They were very nice for letting me get away with all of this. <laughs> difficult people. I love difficult people too, as a pop culture junkie. I mean, do you have any favorite memories from that? And yeah, I, I wish that we could have gotten at least 10 more seasons of that show. Me too. I just did Julie's podcast yesterday. So check that out. If you like Melissa. difficult people, her podcast, double threat. Um, I love Julie. I love that show. She's a genius. Um, You know, again, it was one of those things where people were like, at the time, everyone's like, well, it's not for everyone. And I'm like, well, what's for everyone? You know, I don't know. It's it's comedy. You know, Adam Sandler's not for everyone, but you never hear anyone say that he's niche, you know, Mm -hmm. that... And I like Adam Sandler. I'm just using him as one example. You know, if straight guys gravitate towards something, then it's then it's not niche, even mm-hmm. though it's even though it's, uh, you know, divisive, right. you know, but if you're a gay person or a woman and you do something that not everyone loves, then you're niche and you're divisive or you're not for everyone. And, you know, we got kind of labeled with a lot of that stuff. And it's interesting because now I'm seeing a bunch of shows pop up, which um, have a difficult people like tone to them. And have managed to stay on longer and have had more people embrace them. And I think sometimes you just need people to get used to something. You know, we were very matter of fact on that show about queer stuff. And Julie was the center of the show. And But, you know, not necessarily playing the most like likable, like America's sweetheart version of what a woman's supposed to be on a sitcom, you know. And I, and I love that show so much. I, um, I do hope we get to do a reunion movie or something. Uh, and people, people come up to me all the yeah. time. It lives on. I see clips of it on Twitter all the time. Like there's always stuff popping in and up. And it, you know, I think yeah. we were one of the first original shows Hulu did. Yeah. Um, it was us and the Mindy project, but Mindy, they took from Fox. So that was already established. And I think, I don't know what they were looking for, but you know, It'll live on. I think they jumped the gun on canceling that one. Yeah. Uh, before I do my last little game with you, I do just also have to say that there's a speech, which people will see when they see the movie, but there's a, a speech on the beach that I just hope people pay extra attention to. It was so beautiful. And uh, it's a speech your character gives in the movie. And I, yeah, I don't want to spoil it. I just want people to really make sure they take it in because it. I just thought it was great. And and I, I guess maybe a question there is like, did you have to fight to keep that all in? Yeah, I mean, it, that scene is unique for a major studio comedy, you know. Um, and but and I worried for a long time, actually, that someone would tell us to cut it down. And I really the first test screening we had in front of an audience where all the execs from Universal, including like the head of all Universal, they, they come and they, you know, they're there to see the audience reaction and give you notes. And I literally was having a panic attack, you know, waiting to see what the notes could be. And again, I don't want to ruin it. I, I want people to discover that in the yeah. movie, but um, 
I was so worried they were going to ask me to cut it or, or basically cut it way down. And, and in the lobby after, um, all the execs, including Donna Langley, who runs the studio, who's a true badass. Like I really love her. Um, and has, she's been so supportive and she looked at me and she said, wow, that, that moment on the beach, she said, it's really powerful. And, And I, I just, I mean, I got chills. I was so relieved um, and she's a straight woman, you know, she's not a gay man, but she got it, you know, and, and um, I think it's important that the movie had a moment like that to speak to what got us here. And, and not only my personal story, but I think the story of a lot of LGBTQ folks um, up until this moment when the world has become a bit more welcoming. Um, but I, we needed to acknowledge the history of it as well. Um, you can't just ignore that. So it was I'm so beautiful. That, that moment was just, I mean, it really resonated with me and I just, I had to thank you for it. Cause I thought it was so special. Um, okay. Last little game I want to play. Um, the, Renee Zellweger. I won't spoil anything, but we love Renee Zellweger here on the show. And uh, I have a list of her movies and I just want to run through some of these roles and just get your opinion on these movies, oh. these roles. That's all. Okay. Um, so Cold Mountain. Can I be completely honest? Don't think I ever saw it. Oh my God, Billy. You have to go see other it just for the, the cl- accent work. Other than the clips. And I remember she won the Oscar, but um, mm-hmm. I, I, never, I have to acknowledge I never saw Cold Mountain. And if you're going to, okay. and if, if that gets me canceled, then so be it. I've already <laughs> been canceled three times this year. <laughs> Well, I was thinking like this whole press tour. I talked to this about with, with Luke a little bit because it does sort of feel like a clusterfuck of like you're all trying to do this great thing, but then also you're trying to say the right thing. And even I know, I know you and Joel are, have worked together. Joel Kim Booster, who did Fire Island, and like honestly, a lot of that stuff happens like only on gay Twitter. It's like a, it's such a weird thing. I don't know. Gay men on Twitter get a therapist challenge is what I say. That's the next Twitter challenge. Joel and I are friends. Joel worked on Billy on the street. Bowen is in bros. The whole thing was silly. Um, but, uh, you know, gay people, it's a tough community, you know? Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize to the entire cold mountain fan fan fandom. Yeah. It's just me. It's just me. Um, okay, Judy. Do you've seen Judy, right? Yes, loved. Absolutely so loved it. So good. Um, Jerry Maguire, her sort of first big breakout role. I love that movie. Yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time. I really love um, the sec- the song "Secret Garden" that they used by Bruce Springsteen in that movie. What a talk about a great song and a rom com. How did that not? Did that get nominated for best song? I don't remember. I, I think it did. And also, do you remember on the radio would play the Jerry Maguire mix where you'd hear just like Bonnie Hunt and bitch with the dialogue? No, it's too. It's too. It's, it's too good. It's, it's too good. Yeah. yeah. And also, I I remember like falling asleep in college drunk, and I put on Jerry Maguire, and I like woke up the next day, and the DVD menu was just playing the instrumental of that song over and over over yes. over still shots of Jonathan Lipnicki. What a dream. <laughs> Did you ever see One True Thing? Yep, saw it in the movie theater. Her you see, I saw that. I didn't see Cole Mountain. I saw it well because it's Meryl and William Hurt. It's all my favorite people. Um, I, yeah, I remember. I mean, it's so sad. And um, also there's a beautiful Bette Midler song in that movie, mm. um, which is kind of under the radar. Uh, Icons. 
Did you ever watch True Blood? I was obsessed. I thought the men on that show, Alexander Skarsgård, Ryan Quanton, I was in love with him when that show was airing. And I thought it was just so good. And so that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the new season of the Truest Blood podcast. The Truest Blood podcast is fantastic. If you haven't listened before, it's hosts Kristen Bauer and Deborah Ann Wall, who rewatch and tell true stories from the set of HBO's iconic series, True Blood. They discuss the episodes, the blood, both fake and real, and all the sexy bites in between. And this season of the podcast, they cover seasons three and four of True Blood, uh, where there's more werewolves, witches, and vampire royalty on the show. Plus, I have really great people who worked behind the scenes of the show coming on and talking about the show. Lots of that to come. I think we're all pop culture junkies here. And one of the things that I love about pop culture is seeing how the sausage is made. And so I think that's why we're all going to be so excited to listen to the Truest Blood podcast. So check it out. uh, And also check out the show True Blood. Watch all episodes of True Blood on Max and listen to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Icons, I'm sure I've mentioned this many a time on the show, but I use DoorDash all the time, and I'm sure so many of you are right there with me. When you need a meal, you hop on DoorDash. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about DoorDash's Dash Pass. It's the most affordable way to get anything in your area delivered to your door, helping you save lots of money, lots of time with every one of your DoorDash orders. So it's really a big saver with $0 delivery fees and lower service fees on your eligible orders. Dash Pass makes it super easy to save on restaurants or retail items, groceries, all your local favorites that deliver on DoorDash. Because I don't just get my meals. I also get a lot of groceries. You can get, again, retail items, local stuff. Dash Pass, too, pays for itself in just two orders on average, making delivery even more worth it. Plus, Dash Pass gives you special access to exclusive promotions, member-only menu items, all for just $9.99 a month. So get more from your delivery for less. Sign up for Dash Pass today only on DoorDash. Use code ICONIC24. That's ICONIC24 and get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for Dash Pass. Subject to change, terms apply. Again, use code ICONIC24 and get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for Dash Pass. Um, but uh, I remember liking it. It's very sad. Of course, Meryl's amazing. I, I remember William Hurt being really good, too. I, I think miss, he's in that movie. Yeah, and Tom Skerritt, I think, is the brother or the son or something. Right. Well, naturally, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there will be no Tom Scarrett erasure on this episode. Of- <laughs> How dare you? Um, wait, okay. So, do you have a favorite rom com? I'm just sort of skipping around here. What's? Do you have an all time favorite? I have so many. I really love. I really love. It's not like a typical typical rom com, but I love this movie, Broadcast News, with Holly Hunter and William Hurt from the '80s, which I grew up watching a million times. But I, I watched it like twice over lockdown again. I just love that movie so much. Um, it's a James L. Brooks movie. It's a follow-up to Terms of Endearment. And um, Holly Hunter, is, they're all pitch perfect. Joan Cusack is in it. It's pitch perfect. Holly Hunter is beyond good. The screenplay is so good. Um, and um, it was a bit of an inspiration for my character in Bros, too. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but I loved how capable and smart and quick she was and no one's better at her job and and she knows it she knows she's the smartest person in the room and she has seemingly all this confidence and she's very self-reliant and self-possessed but then she ends up falling like head over heels like hopelessly in love with this handsome idiot 
played by William Hurt. And Luke's character in Bros is not an idiot. Um, but I like the idea that someone who was so self-possessed um, could just be completely undone by falling for another person. And, you know, what happens when that happens? And, and that that's sort of what we started with when we were writing bros. You know, you and Luke had chemistry. Not a lot of people have chemistry anymore. I was telling him, like, I feel like no one does chemistry testing anymore. And so it was <laughs> nice to see the two of you have chemistry. It's important. I mean, rom-coms, no matter how good the script might be, they live and die based on the chemistry, you know? That's I know I have we- to let you go, Billy, but you mentioned Terms of Endearment, and we talked a little bit about uh, One True Thing, and I miss that mom drama death yeah. kind of... 80s, 90s movie, stepmom kind of thing that they used to do. What do you want to do next after this? Like, I think I saw that you were writing something else. Like, what kind of movie would you get next? I'm at the early stages of writing a movie that we sold to Amazon. Me and Paul Rudnick, who was an iconic gay screenwriter who wrote Sister Act and wrote Adam's Family Values and In and Out. So he's been at this a very long time. So we're collaborating on a movie called Ex-Husbands about a big gay divorce. It's like the gay war of the roses, basically. It's almost like the opposite side of bros. Bros is about watching two guys fall in love. And this is about watching a couple fall apart, but in a big, funny way. I mean, we're going to keep it real, but it's not, it's not a marriage story. You know, it's not like devastatingly <laughs> sad. Um, although I like that movie. I'd watch that so, too. So uh, absolutely. Um, but uh, that's, we're in the early stages of that and some other things I'm working on. And, um, but, you know, I've really, I've really dedicated myself to every moment of those bros adventure. So I'm probably going to need a minute just to <laughs> relax my brain. Um, but, um, you know, I love to work and I'm, I'm really grateful. It's amazing, truly amazing, considering how things were when I started out for gay folks in Hollywood that I'm getting to do all this stuff. It, I, it's not lost on me and I'm really grateful. Well, I hope people go see this movie just as someone who's trying to make their own stuff. I just want to say thank you. I fucking love this movie so much thank and I will you. make everyone go see it if I can, because it's, it's truly great. So Billy, thank you so much for bros. Go see it. Men, women, gay, straight, and laugh with people because we've been so fucking starved for that. Yeah. So go grab some girlfriends, have a bottle of wine, and see this movie because I think you will have the best time with your friends. Bring your gays, your straights, whoever. Bring them on, yeah. Uh, Billy, thank you so much. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. 